0: to our podcast Insight Reading Enlightenment, dedicated to sight reading through the lens of historically informed performance practice. And today I have a special guest. Could you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, my name is Norbert Rodenkirchen, and I'm a medieval flute player who plays normally by heart. So uh, yesterday I had a concert here in Basel, uh, based on my program Hameln Anno 1284, which is uh, a a program about the um, Pied Piper of Hamelin from the perspective of early music, and I prefer not to sight-read in in most of the situations, but to play extempore, what what means that I learn the pieces by heart and improvise uh, um, on the the tunes I learned. So, but I'm very happy now to share some experiences with uh, my flute colleagues here in Basel, and that's why we are here.
0: And we are happy to have you on our show, thank you very much. And could you tell us more about the concert that you played yesterday, about the concept, the idea and the pieces that you have played?
1: Yeah, the concept of my program is, um, like I said, it's about the story of the Pied Piper in Hamelin, which is uh, famous as the so-called rat catcher. But um, uh, my program is focusing on the historic events behind the story and behind also the very famous fairy tale. And I wanted to look at it from the date of the real event, which is uh, the, 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 in June 1284, so the late th- th- 13th century. Um, I wanted to focus on music, which uh, um, um, a jocular or a minstrel, um, Traveling musician could have played uh, during that time, and so I came upon um, the the melodies of, of the minnesinger Witzlaf of Rügen because he was uh, at the same more or less the same time and also more or less the same region where we are talk about, talking about because um, the the events in Hameln rely uh, to a migration project where. We know now that the young people in Hameln went to the Baltic coast, and so the the pipe piper must have been a musician from there because he convinced them to go, in to 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 work in the in the in the farms.
0: And what is the original story? The original fairy tale?
1: <laughs> uh, well, the original story is not the fairy tale. The original story is that uh, 130. Um, young people were convinced by a piper to go with him and nobody in Hamel knew where they went. So they disappeared. And from uh, historic research today, we know that there have been lots of activities also in other cities at that time of so-called locators, uh, people who convinced young people to go into rarely settled areas at the Baltic coast where they urgently needed workers in, in, the, in the farms. And so this is a very common phenomenon, it's called the Ostkolonisation. And um, so it's uh, it's also for historians, is very clear, and uh, it's not so clear whether the Ratcatcher story is seen in that context, but this is also now one of the main theories uh, how to look at the the story and the the rat catcher that's a mythology which later de- developed uh, in the 16th century so much much later after the event and uh, that's this led to the famous fairy tale that you have a uh, somebody who
0: i have no idea could you please tell us <laughs> the story.
1: Ah, the story of the rat catcher. That's a um, uh, well. Um, the story of the rat catcher is uh, in the Brothers Grimm fairy tales in the nineteenth century. That there is in the city of Hameln, there is a lot of rats. It's a plague, um, and so there, ca- there suddenly appears a piper and claims he can uh, he can help the city to get rid of the problem by just piping the rats into the river. And so when he did, the people refused to pay him. And then, uh, next Sunday morning, he came back and then suddenly all the children followed him out of the door and they disappeared and went to a, and then they say they went to a cave on on a hill and came out on the other side in Romania.
0: That's a powerful musician, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: So that's about, that's a fairy tale. So and and, um, and my program was uh, was uh, trying to um, to go behind the story and to see what was really there and uh, and what music could fit to it uh, uh, from the perspective of early music.
0: Yes. And what kind of music did you find?
1: Well, Witslaw Beethoven of von Rüben is really pretty near. Mm-hmm. As a regard Monody, if you, if you f- look for Monody of the late 13th century or the beginning of the 14th century, then you have um, at the Baltic coast, the nearest you can get is Witzlaff of Rügen and, uh, and even one melody of his teacher called the Ungelate, who must have been the pretty much the same age as the Piper and Hamelin. So we, from this guy, the Ungelate, we have even also one melody. And um, so, and and at this uh, area, it's a Slavic culture. So we still have folk music from that area, which relied uh, relates to the summer uh, festivities like solstice um, um, dances, uh, like kupala dances, mm-hmm. is, and this is um, demons for fertility, for example. And th- that it's it's of course. Going back to pagan mm-hmm. um, rites, like rites of spring, and here's mm-hmm. rites of summer, and and um, but this is still to active today. And uh, of course, the melodies we cannot know how old they really are. But um, I I combined uh, my pied piper music, my my take on um, Wit'slav melodies with these Slavic ornaments of the of the cupola dances.
0: How did you research uh, on the subject? H- how did you find the ornaments? And especially I wanted to ask you about the instruments. Did you research about the instruments that were in use at that time?
1: Yes, uh, the, the, these are two questions. The one is about the Slavic ornaments. Of course, I'm not a Slavic, uh, but the Rhineland.
0: I am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, I, I have been quite a lot in Poland. And uh, yesterday in the concert, I also gave a little instruction uh, how how i learned from some polish musicians folk musicians especially in the festival of jaroslav where we we sometimes had folk sessions and um, well there there's people in there are people in poland who do a, a work maybe similar like bela bartok did they go to the villages and and still make um, recordings of the old people and and i i'm happy that i i uh, met some of these young people and we um, This was already 15 years ago. We had some of these jam sessions together. And then there's also one collection of printed music where I heavily rely on, which is um, a Kohlberg um, collection, but it's from the 19th century, of Slavic Slavic dance fragments Mm -hmm. in Poland.
0: And this is... there is exactly also
1: the, the region where I'm talking about the Baltic coast, northern Poland, or Brandenburg. That's
0: I was just thinking immediately there is also a collection by Lvov and Pratch uh, in the 19th century about Russian folk music, yeah. but about the songs. It's, it contains the songs.
1: I would say it's uh, part of the movement of uh, uh, re- re- uh, refinding the cultural heritage wherever it's and even this also happened in Germany and and in France uh, that people were collecting uh, fairy tales or old texts and and old songs folk songs and um, and um, this is uh, it's pretty unusual that um, folk songs were written down. Normally they were never written down because it's oral tradition.
0: I think it was th- quite late though, because um, I think there was a conflict with the Orthodox Church when this kind of folk music and instruments, they were considered as something bad and should be destroyed. And yeah. you know, we, so we have this problem in Slavic lands with, with folk music, It's yes. yeah, it's terrible.
1: Yeah, uh, well, there's of course interesting um, instruments uh, in in uh, um, especially plucked instruments uh, in, in in East Europe. You have a lot of which uh,
0: reminds of yeah, a a psalterium. Of cantile, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and,
1: and uh, I don't know now the word for the Russian type of cantele. I uh, we in Norwe- in Norwegian countries they have this kind of early harp which with metal strings. But I forgot now the.
0: Uh,
1: Gusle. Gusle, yeah, Gusle, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, But here with the Piper, we have another thing uh, that uh, the first sources say talk about the Piper. Then the, the, there's one in the 15th century who already says of a um, who talks about the Festula Argentorum, which is a Fistula is a pipe, a Querpfeife. So like the Schweizer Pfeife in the Carnival here. And so it's the a first mention of really that a piper in Hamelin played a traverso, uh, and but with something with silver, maybe ornamented with silver or out of silver, we never we will never know that. But um, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, about your instruments, which yeah. instruments did you bring to Basel, and yeah. could you tell about your collection?
1: Well, I play I play medieval flutes, which is basically from the form not very different from Renaissance flutes, but it would be unfair to tell to call them Renaissance flutes because they are not Renaissance flutes, uh, they are the flutes which were used since antiquity until the Renaissance in the same form, but in medieval times there, were, there was one really major difference to a Renaissance flute, they were tuned in a different way, Pythagorean uh, way, that means that they had um, according to the church modes or the, the medieval modes you you didn't need um, any um, uh, pure thirds for a nice polyphony of triads or so because that didn't that was not needed and so it didn't exist in the tuning so we had Pythagorean tuning with pure fourth and fifths not to punish anybody but because it's just uh, uh, the third was not yet. Um, uh, de- detected as a beautiful interval. It was and a dissonance, actually. It was a dissonance, but uh, it was, of course, it was a differently tuned uh, third, which in t- still today is not really nice. If you have a, <laughs> uh, two big whole tones uh, adding up to a big uh, third, this is uh, just a resulting interval ho- which wants to go up to the fourth. Né? It wants mm-hmm. to resolve. Mm-hmm. It's a dissonance, and. Um, Uh, So the fourth is much more uh, consonant in the Pythagorean tuning than the third, and the same. um, uh, Another distinguishing, um, or another difference between Renaissance and medieval flute is that it was not organized in families because it was not meant to be played in families. It it was maximum uh, played together in parts of two, like in the Cantigas de Santa Maria. You have two flute players, but normally it was played in with other instruments or solo or or just in 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 other combinations but not in concerts because we didn't have concerts in medieval times it's a it's a the renaissance idea there were
0: not so many people
1: (laughs) oh no it's it's just the 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 new development of harmony and of the tone temperament Led also to the very organically to the idea of organizing sound in families. So it's the same in the choral music that suddenly you have soprano, alt, tenor, bass. This is the Renaissance way of thinking about sound. The
0: community.
1: Yeah, community also, and maybe also have harmony as something which um, it's maybe something similar to the perspective in the perspective. Uh, in in painting, that's some something like Leonardo da Vinci has, that he has now a really um, nearly photographic-like um, uh, correct perspectives in the music, uh, in, in the painting, and in the music it's maybe the same with harmony. And but here in the in the medieval time in 13th century, I ha- I use these cylindrical flutes, which I think a fistula or a festula, like it's in the first source was used and so that's what I do and I try to reconstruct a, a, a performance of a traveling minstrel mm-hmm. at that time.
0: Was it always a um, flute player playing solo or you mentioned before that your program contains texts as well. Would be a minstrel also performing some texts in his performance
1: I don't know. Um, we don't know so much about that because we know we don't know so much about the minstrels or the or the or the, flute, the instrumentalists at all because um, we know that they are there uh, and um, they were also they belong to the entourage of mini singers. No? or if you see for example Wolkenstein when he says that um, what a, a, a good musician should also be able to, to to play the drums to play the flutes and to fiddle, and, and to sing, and to, to, to write poems. Okay. That's and, and a lot. Machaut, in, in a completely other context, also um, mentioned a lot of instruments which a poet should at least consider to, to, um, to know. But um, I think this is not enough to say that we know exactly how there was a multifunctional um, um, kind of artist. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm also a bit skeptical about that. Uh, in my text in the program, there were really more informal texts. There were um, inf- um, not informal. There were texts who informed the audience about what what was going on. So it was not uh, It was not um, uh, that this is a kind of performance wh- which needs to be. Um, uh like that uh, which which claimed that this is a historical performance uh, with together with text but it's a modern format um, to go through the centuries
0: with more understanding. Yes,
1: yes so we started with the earliest sources and then went through the centuries and then we ended with the with the fairy tale of the brothers grim and then in the post we even took a jump over the cultural background of the the western Occident we, we went to Persia to Rumi who lived at the same time so we had a poem of Rumi uh, at the end to to make a complete different mm-hmm. um, quote but um, it, it sounded completely organic to do this
0: sounds very interesting and uh, about your instruments that you used for this performance I see this big flute <laughs> in front of me
1: This big flute is uh, one which I'm checking out for. uh, for, 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 From, I I used flutes of different sizes, but not organized as a family. But I had different Pythagoreanly tuned uh, traverso flutes by different makers. Just a collection of what I wanted to have in this program, and not always the same flute. Not always the the same.
0: You were following according to your taste and what you would like to hear. Yes,
1: yes. I could have also played this on one flute. But then it would we have, have been for an evening of, um, where you also want to be entertained. Uh, it would have been a little bit monotonous. But which I also have another program where I exactly want that. It's called TBX Tempore, ch- uh, which I recorded in an abbey, and I play only one flute and I play only one piece. Which, but in this piece are different pieces uh, intertwined, and so I try to do it in, in nearly like a raga. Mm-hmm. that was my uh, my take tw- 20 years ago i made a record it's called the, like this 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 also can also be very interesting but then it's more meditative mm-hmm. and uh, and yes. and the uh, rotten finger is the program is m- should be more um yeah vielseitig. Mm, f- i don't know the word now multifaceted
0: That's amazing. I just wanted to say that first I heard your performance in Moscow when you performed um, in a church um, at the station Goret. it was a big church Um, and I was so enchanted by the sound of your flute and then I discovered uh, the earlier flutes that were existing before Baroque times actually and it was such a strong experience for me so I wanted to thank you for opening up this world. Well,
1: thank you. I, I also have to thank Moscow, because for me the three times I was in Moscow, I was so moved that there can be such an emotional audience for this kind of music, because I've seen old ladies crying in the first row. And <laughs> you, you never have this experience in Köln or so, that, yeah, Or and, and the, so it's very moving to go um, to to a place for us, it's pretty far away, and and um, and it was a great experience to to have to found that I found also friends there and colleagues, which which I'm still in contact with.
0: Do you also work at a um, contemporary music department somewhere, or do you teach composition?
1: Um, I work in contemporary contexts, but I don't teach composition. I'm I'm a freelancer. I, I, I the only thing I, I I I did a lot of teaching when I was younger. I, I taught in music school. I, I even was in a jazz school for a certain time. For for young people, I, I led the jazz combos for youngsters. But this is a long time ago, and so I, in the moment, I only do workshops or special training if some somebody wants to sh- to to know about my. Experience I'm happy to share, but I'm not um, I'm not doing this on a regular basis. But uh, I'm maybe two or three times a year I'm invited to do this, and also at some academies or private people come to come to me. Um, but most of the times I'm just playing or composing or recording, arranging, doing my stuff. Ne?
0: And the last question is: um, Do you think that those? Um, did they sight-read music? Were they educated to sight-read from manuscripts?
1: I think it's very hard to say because probably we had the whole spectrum of what we have today too. Uh, uh, if you ask now this same question um, and uh, you have one Person who plays in a rock band, and the other p- person has been at a jazz school. Yeah, the the third person has done some classical violin training and only plays in orchestras. And so all the, uh, these three people would give completely three uh, different answers to that question. And maybe the guy in the rock band, or the the woman in, the, could also be uh, uh, the person in the in the band. Maybe doesn't even read notes, so they arrange the uh, the pieces uh, according to a principle, what Duke Ellington called the head arrangement. So you just do it while on, in the process. You say, you play that phrase and then you play that phrase, and why not having this nice idea? So that's uh, something I like. Li- it's something like a garage band. So you, I like that principle the most. I, that's the, my favorite uh, kind of to work together as a band. And the other approach is to uh, that somebody arranges something and the others play it. Or that we, and for the medieval music, it's rarely the case that we have the situation that we need to sight read because the music in which it has been come to us is not ready to play. So, first, there needs a a process of um, reading the manuscript and transcribing it into something which we can work on. It's rarely possible only in some with some exemptions that directly to to directly read it from the manuscript and it's also not meant for it because the manuscripts in renaissance they were meant as choir books to read from them the medieval manuscripts most of them were not meant for that they were meant as documentations maybe for the cantores to remember but not for the musicians themselves Mm -hmm. That's um, a one big, big difference, and so the music in medieval times was very often meant to to be memorized and then played extempore, um, means to have memorized it, and then you know some certain rules how to improve it, how to embellish it, how to. Change it to make variations. There
0: was an idiomatic language for that that people knew the musicians uh,
1: uh, in in certain places and certain times. So it's a, medieval time is a long time. Uh, it's longer. The whole medieval time is longer than the end of the medieval time until now. So um, it's we're talking about seven hundred years. Mm-hmm. So it's um, um, uh, it's a bit difficult to to make one rule for this long period of time. But uh, I would say yes. There's um, there there must have been idioms for certain places and certain time, whether you're at a court in the 13th century at a certain place with certain teachers, then of course you have this. And of course there's also evidence um, which can be researched, and other places where you don't have evidence. But uh, still true is what I said, that um, um, the, the, the music is in most cases not ready to play. So you either need a modern edition, and but why sight-read that? It's just a question, I don't know, I, I have no answer. I would say take the modern edition, okay, but then compare it to the facsimile, then learn it by heart, and then meet the others. Or learn it together, but not... Uh, it, I'm very sorry, I know this. <laughs> your theme is sight-read, but sight reading starts, I would say, with the existence of choir books, and not before Be- before notation had a completely different meaning and you know the the most important meaning of um, notation was a political one in Carolingian time. the only reason why notation developed in in the Occident was that Charlemagne needed a unity in his in his uh, in his whole area which covered nearly the the whole of today's Europe and so or a big part of it and so everybody sang their liturgy or sometimes even their pagan uh, songs or secular songs in a completely different way and so he wanted um, to have the liturgy as a unifying factor sung in the same mode and there were some instructors, uh, music teachers who uh, helped him to develop this um, method and notation was one of their tools uh, so
0: it's like printing their own money or yes
1: yeah. yeah and also to have a method that if a music teacher goes from let's say fulda to um, somewhere in spain to madrid that they would sing uh, that he could teach the monks there or the nuns the same method of singing the choral in the right way. And because if the, the monk would have stayed in Fulda or some other place like Mainz or wherever, Paris, uh, if you stayed there, you don't need the notation because the monks could sing the chorals. They knew it no? because it's the daily practice. The, the main reason was to transport the knowledge to another place. That was notation. Because before not, notation was not needed, yeah. and in other parts of the world, in other times of the world, it was not needed, and this was a trigger for other repertoires over the centuries, and so later Ab- up to Beethoven and Boulez, and so this this led to composition. No? But uh, in the first moment, it was just a political thing to create unity in the in the in the Römischen Reich of Charlemagne.
0: Thank you very much, Norbert, for revealing the secrets of notation. That's amazing. Thanks a lot. And good luck to your future projects. Thank you.
1: Thank you.